Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. And Allison, we're so lucky today. We have such a special guest joining us on this very special episode. I am absolutely elated. We are joined today by a person who probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but on her own website says my new favorite phrase, which is that she's worn many bonnets in her career as opposed (laughs) to many hats. We are joined today by the author of the Caroline books, Kathleen Ernst. Kathleen, hello. Well, I'm so glad for the warm welcome. Thank you very much. We're so honored to have you here. I mean, I'm sure you know this, but we just finished reading the Caroline books and it was such an adventure for us. I'm very glad to hear that. It was an adventure for me too. I'm sure, as we're going to hear more about. I mean, as as Allison said, your your website is is really wonderful and kind of providing a snapshot of your career. And I'd love to kind of, if we could just start off by taking you even further back, if you will. You know, this is a show where we're reliving American Girl books that have meant a lot to our listeners since they were children. So we're kind of curious, just as a starting point, you know, what are some books you remember loving as a child yourself, especially those that, you know, might take place in the past? I I was very fortunate that my mother was a librarian and books were just a big part of our our family's life from from the day one. Um, So I read a lot as a kid and I certainly did gravitate to historical fiction even at a very young age. Um, The classic uh, that I have to mention is Laura Ingalls Wilder and her series. I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore and Washington and uh, the places that she was describing in the Little House books, you know, just seemed so foreign and and fascinating to me. Um, I also, just a lot of individual titles, one favorite that still sings in my mind is The Witch of Blackbird Pond, another classic. Oh my gosh, Kathleen. My age. Um, And then I also loved other things too. I was a big Beverly Cleary fan and um, a author that I really loved was Marguerite Henry also. She wrote The Misty of Chincoteague and quite a few books, um, which were historical fiction, um, not not for the author, but for me as a child reading them, uh, going back a few decades, uh, that seemed like historical fiction to me. And one of the reasons I loved that is that my family visited um, Chincoteague and Assateague and, and I think very early I got a, a sense of the connection between place and story mm. that, that's really stayed with me. Mm. Well, that really resonates with me, Kathleen, and Allison's going to roll her eyes because I've said this 500 times <laughs> on this show, but I grew up in Wethersfield, Connecticut, which is the site of the Witch of Blackbird Pond. So oh, I that book means that. a lot to me because that place is where I grew up. So you yeah. know, it really resonates Yeah, and that's a beautiful segue, too. We've talked a lot in reading your books and discussing them with listeners about the fact that you come from a background of historical interpretation. And before you got into writing American Girl, you worked at historic sites. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit more about what you liked about that work and then how that path did actually take you to American Girl? I'd be delighted. And that also started really when I was a child. My family often went to places like Colonial Williamsburg or Plymouth Plantation and similar sites on vacations, and I loved it. 
because it was so alive. And so I was always uh, hoping that I'd, I'd have the chance, and that's where my career ended up taking me. Um, there's so many reasons I think historic sites are very special places to learn about the past. Um, certainly one is just that sense of place. And if you're sensitive to it, if you pause, just walking the ground, even if the ground has changed quite a bit, walking the ground or walking the floors inside a building and thinking about the people who once um, walked those same spaces can be very, very powerful. And for someone who was always interested in writing historical fiction as well as reading it, um, that was a, a strong draw for me. Another thing that I found um, and, and continue to find very inspiring about historic sites is just how multidimensional they are. There's so many ways to approach the past and think about stories and historic sites can offer a, a lot of them in, in one place. Um, it's a place where you can hear stories being told by interpreters. You can learn about stories as they're told through artifacts and material culture. You can learn about stories that are told by historic structures themselves. Mm. Um, and I like that multi-layered approach. And certainly as an author, um, I, I embrace all of those different approaches to whatever time and place that I'm working on. Um, and of course, as, also as an author, one of the things that I love best about uh, historic sites and especially my time working at historic sites is that it's an experiential learning process and the site where I spent a lot of time uh, 12 years was a living history very large living history site about 60 60 restored buildings wow. um, nine working farms I mean it was marvelous <laughs> at that time I was writing historical fiction when I started there but I had not yet been published and to have first of all that to learn about the processes that were taking place how do you actually butcher a chicken <laughs> and I didn't love that one so much but it was <laughs> but from an academic standpoint you know things that you've read about how do you make soap how do you plant a period garden when you don't have you know modern innovations so the the process end of things I still draw on my memories when I'm writing certain stories I look for things that are appropriate Another thing that I love and is very helpful to me as an author is that it's a sensory experience. And mm -hmm. until you've done certain things, you may not, you, you can read about it, but if you have the opportunity to do it, you know what it feels like, you know what it smells like, you might know what it tastes like. Uh, and those little details can bring a scene a life, alive in a book. And one of my favorite mantras as a writer is specific sensory details. <laughs> um, you can't put a big data dump in a book, but if you choose the right little details, um, you can paint a picture with a few words. I also loved working there because of the seasonal changes, and that was such an important um, thing in more more people's lives in the past. Today, a lot of a lot of us are more cut off from the, the seasons or we can go inside and it doesn't matter so much if it's 20 below. But when you're working at a historic building, um, feeling the seasons change and thinking, wow, if it's this cold in November, what's it going to be like in February? And 
oh, the food we put by didn't um, keep well, so I must have done something wrong. You know, those types of things, uh, very, very helpful to me. Um, and I still, as I mentioned earlier, I still really draw on my memories for the books that I write now. So you mentioned that butchering a chicken was perhaps a low point <laughs> of something you had to learn how to do um, according to the standards of the past. But, you know, what's a practice from the past that you learned how to do in your work that you really loved? Um, I developed two real passions. Um, both things I were I was interested in anyway, but having the chance to try these things was wonderful. And one was cooking. And I... I worked eventually in all of the kitchens on, on at the historic site. So that ranged from 1845 to 1915. So I got to try all different, you know, how do you can and how do you preserve food in 1840? How do you do it in 1880? How do you, you know, how do you do it a decade later? Um, and it also taught me that particular historic site called Old World Wisconsin featured different um, people from different ethnic backgrounds and I developed a real love of diversity of of baking and cooking that um, I still cherish today uh, and the other thing was handwork I again the, the chance to actually try to do certain things you know there were things I was better at than than others um, one of the farms where I worked made coiled rice straw baskets and I never ever ever got the hang of doing that very well um, but spinning and weaving I learned both of those things there both flax and and linen and weaving rags as well and both of those I I just loved and I'd sit at these old antique looms and think about the women who had sat there as you know for the last hundred or 150 years it's it's very powerful gifts Hmm. Yeah, I, I work on the other end of what you're talking about, which is a factory from that time period. And all the time I see people talking about that work as unskilled. And every person who's written that, I want to write to them and say, have you done it? Have you? Because, <laughs> I, because I have to do it. And let me tell you, it's, there is yeah. nothing unskilled about it at all. <laughs> yeah, it, a, lot, a lot of things that look so simple, if you just take a quick look, when you actually try to get your your flax thread as fine as you can without breaking and things like that it it takes a lot of practice and definitely skill absolutely and I think something that really comes through in your books is this really deft way that you weave a textured scene of people eating right people kind of just living life in a time with bigger historical moments and we kind of feel, you know, we've been so excited by your books because they just connect all these new things for us and we didn't grow up with them. But I guess I'm wondering, like, what has your experience been like as a published author of American Girl? Oh, it was one of one of the biggest privileges I think I've ever had. Historical fiction had so much to do with my own love um, and my career path and where I go on vacation and and really all you know all aspects of my life and when I started writing books for American Girl having the opportunity um, to pass a little bit of that passion on and meeting the girls um, was just a real highlight of my professional life for sure so many wonderful girls uh, so excited about history and reading and um, Miss Ernst, can I show you my autobiography that I wrote or, you know, little girls telling me in great detail about the Great Depression because they'd read kids, 
kids' stories or things like that. It was just marvelous, absolutely marvelous. Can you maybe bring us back a little bit and think, maybe share with us, like, when you first became aware of American Girl yourself, or, like, what was your relationship with the brand before you started to write for different series? Um, I became aware of the brand as uh, a museum employee. Uh, when I started, I started working at the historic site and I, I should mention that um, I'm in Wisconsin. I'm not sure if, if that's come out yet. So I'm very close to American Girl um, Company geographically. And when I started working at the historic site, if I wanted to connect with young girls or young children, I would usually bring up Laura Ingalls Wilder because so many kids had read the Little House books. And then in the mid 80s, that started changing and I started seeing girls coming through the historic site with dolls in their arms or um, and the other thing that happened while I was there I spent two years on on site during the season um, full-time and then I went behind the scenes primarily as curator of research and and collections or I'm sorry not research interpretation and collections and every now and then, occasionally, I'd get a call from American Girl if they were doing, sometimes it was if they were doing a photo shoot, they might call and say, we're looking for a clock from this period. Do you happen to have one in your in your collection? Um, or uh, we have an author working on a project and, and we'd like to see some examples of such and such. And of course, I was always happy to help. Um, and once or twice, I also got a call from someone at the company um, who knew me only as a museum curator, didn't know I was a, a fledgling writer myself. Um, but they say, could we could we read a paragraph to you and tell me if this sounds right? And I don't remember the specifics. I remember one was about how much soot was on the inside of a, should be on the inside of a, a glass lamp, like an oil lamp. Um, you know, I think mm -hmm. the author had described it as black with soot and so we had a conversation about how to turn the wick and, and that kind of thing. And I was always happy to help, but uh, there were also times that I'd hang up the phone and I'd think, well, if you hired me to write a book, then you wouldn't have to ask these <laughs> questions because I, I know the answers already. Um, and, and it just sort of went on from there. And then some years later, the, the brand had been um, in existence for probably close to a decade. I would my my first historical novel for young young adults was published and an editor who worked at American Girl happened to see it and a colleague of hers was starting a new line of American Girl books called History Mysteries. And they were looking for authors with a strong historical background. Uh, and even though I only had one book out, I think because of the recommendation and because of my history background um, in, in the field, I was invited to write, um, to try to write an American Girl history mystery. So that's how I got my foot in the door with American Girl. I did three history mysteries. And when that line ended, um, they'd had a lot of good feedback from girls about um, about the mysteries and about things that were a little more challenging to read than the the core American Girl books. So they did a lot of other character mysteries and I did um, 
five or six of those as well. And then I was invited to write Caroline. Before we get into Caroline, and I know we'll have a lot to say about um, a lot to say about her. Do you did you have a favorite character that you wrote for before you got to Caroline amongst the American Girl characters? I enjoyed them all. I I wrote for let's see, uh, two kid books: Molly, Josefina, Kirsten, and I I later did a Felicity book. Um, probably my personal favorite was Kirsten. She's from Minnesota. She's from a time period that I particularly gravitate toward. Um, so that was really special. She was not the first one I was invited to do. And I kept thinking, this is great. Will you, how about a story? <laughs> so that was fun when the invitation came. So yeah, could you maybe tell us about how you got into Caroline? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, the way it, it works with American Girl, which is different than... Um, American Girl is a unique situation. Uh, the editors had decided that they wanted to do a character that was set in 1812. And when they contacted me, that was the only decision that had been made. So her location had not been set or any story ideas kicked around or anything like that. So my first job was to... Um, the, to learn in broad terms what I could about the War of 1812 in terms of thinking about a location and possibilities, you know, for plots and, and a character. And growing up in Baltimore, I must admit that um, initially I thought, oh, I could do a Baltimore story. That would be so much fun and Fort McHenry. And the reason that I ended up not going there is because that's a very famous story. And I love looking into corners and, and, trying to shine a little bit of candlelight on on stories that perhaps aren't as well known. And I've lived in the Great Lakes area for, um, well, at that time, about 30 years. And I really did not realize how important the Great Lakes were during the War of 1812 and started until I started digging into it. And the more I learned about it, I thought, this is fascinating, and and it's not nearly as well known as some other chapters of the War of 1812. So in the end, I recommended that, and um, it's a very collaborative approach. So I I I, I met with the editors, which was nice because I live five minutes away from the company. Um, so we could talk about why I felt that way and and what I thought that location had to offer. Um, and I think I developed some very basic, very basic ideas, uh, you know, plot possibilities. And um, we talked about those and I got the green light and we went from there. And, and just the way the process worked at that time, they were still publishing six books. Um, and a lot of, one of the things I've run into over the years is I think a lot of people assume that, that a doll is created and then an author writes books about the doll it's actually the other way around an author creates the character and writes the stories and then the stories go to other parts of the company and that's where the dolls and accessories and things like that are, are developed and since we were doing um, six books I would write a draft of the first um, say book one, I'd write a draft of book one and, and give it to the editors uh, for their review. And then I'd start working on two. 
And then when they got back to me with one, I'd put two aside for a while and, and go back. And and so often we were juggling at, at, as we moved deeper into the series. Um, it, it was about a three-year process. And, and there in the middle, we had probably four books in, in motion, uh, but, but all at various different stages. And um, there is a, a strong review process at American Girl. So... Um, it would go through sort of layers, and then we'd meet again and and talk about um, if anyone had any suggestions, observations, um, comments, that kind of thing. Um, so a lot of back and forth, and but we just moved through the stories one through six. And I was probably I don't know two or three books. I'm not really sure, but two or three books into the series when they passed passed it on to. Um, the designers to start working on the doll so I didn't know in my mind I had I had a, a main character but I knew of course going in that I that that would that would be up to other people and I didn't know for quite a while um, what they were going to decide on for her that's so fascinating and I think like part of what our listeners might be really curious about is sort of what it's like to be you, right? To be the person who's behind Caroline and what that means in terms of like meeting fans of the brand or different kinds of experiences that people share with you that have been particularly memorable. I'll just say we kind of joke that we are two of the luckiest women on the internet because we get sent blurred out message requests with pictures almost every other day. And it's always a wholesome picture of a woman with a doll. And that yeah. makes us so <laughs> an aberration being women on the internet. And it's something that we love. And there is an earnestness to the way that people communicate with us that I think is very special. And so just kind of like now that you've given us this awesome behind the scenes, like what else is it like to be the person who I think in a lot of folks' minds like made Caroline? The word I used earlier really is true, and that's privilege. Um, I To be given an opportunity like that, I took it very seriously, and I wanted Caroline to be someone, you know, that would inspire girls, not just, you know, I want, I, I write, I hope to write entertaining stories, but it's so much more important than that. I, I want to be a good model uh, or, or create a good model on the pages. And one of the things that I loved about Decide, making decisions about who's Caroline, who who would be in Caroline's family and, and other characters is that we have three generations mm. of strong women in Caroline. They're very, very different women, uh, Caroline and her mom and her grandma. They approach problems differently. And, and her grandmother is one of my, my favorite characters of all. But, but Caroline has strong women to look up to, and even though she's in situations at times um, that I would never want modern girls or boys <laughs> to be in, I hope that I was able to create a character that they could admire and learn from, um, but also really care about. I, in terms of a character, those are the two things where I, where I start. I want a character to be strong enough that readers... Um, can learn and grow with them and, and, and admire them. But they also have to have some vulnerability um, so that characters can, or readers can care about the characters. So I thought a lot about who I wanted Caroline to be before I ever wrote a word. And, and the reward for me um, was so much more than I had even imagined in terms of meeting readers. I, 
very early on after the after the books came out, uh, we did a, a tea party at Sackett's Harbor State Battlefield Park. Um, and all the girls who came, and I think it was all girls, all the girls who came, some of them were in period clothing, some of them had dressed up like Caroline, and some of them oh, wow. were, in, you know, in their fancy Easter dresses or a bridesmaid's dress. Oh. And we had a very <laughs> formal tea and some games and, and entertainment and things. And that was just an amazing event to see so many happy girls um, on that ground thinking about the War of 1812 and, and what it was like to be a girl at that time in that place. Um, but I've, I've, I, I couldn't begin to mention all, all the, I have th probably hundreds or even thousands of pictures of me with, with <laughs> girls because they're, they're just so wonderful. Um, but I did have some surprises and one I think relates to what you said a moment ago. Um, I've, I've done many programs where, um, you know, families, families come or multi-generational, but also sometimes just single older women. Um, and one of them talked to me after a program and she said, I grew up in the great depression. I always wanted a doll and my family couldn't afford one. She said, I know ne I never had a doll the whole time I was growing up and she indulged herself in, mm. in an American girl doll, uh, late in life. And she loved it and she came to the program to learn more about about uh, Caroline and Caroline's world uh, things like that just really clutch at my heart did you find yourself at the tea party launch reflecting on you know your younger self as a reader like did you could you ever have imagined as a little girl that you yourself would be writing for other girls in such a meaningful way um it was actually probably beyond what I could have imagined. I wanted to write stories since I was a child. I did, you know, I started writing very young. I wrote my first full novel when I was 15. Cool. It did not get published. <laughs> um, but I mean, that was always a goal. But that type of experience, um, seeing all the girls, and also seeing how, again, that sense of place, being in that place, and I had written a story and girls had come to learn more about it. Um, Honestly, that was beyond, I think, anything I ever imagined at the time. God. So I have maybe a silly question for you, kind of a twofer, but, you know, we wanted to ask you if there's anything you would change now about the Caroline books, but I am also desperate to know if you got to pick her birthday or if that was something that was made at a higher level editing decision. Well, to the first question, is there anything I would change? Um... I don't think there's anything I would change with what I know now. What really fascinates me since you asked the question is uh, a lot of years have gone by and I'm sure a lot of scholarship has taken place and I'd love to know uh, what scholars have turned up in the last mm -hmm. decade. And that of course might alter one of my stories um, in ways I can't even imagine. Uh, I, I haven't I've moved on to other things and haven't returned to 1812. Um, <laughs> but that would be fascinating to know. Um, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten the second question. That's okay. I was just curious because we're very interested in how the early girls, they all have spring birthdays in part oh, God, because right. of like how they line it up. And I just was curious if you got to pick it or if that's something that was made at a higher level. Yeah. Um, 
honestly with the birth birthday i don't remember um i'm not sure if, if that was important to me or um i i think by this time they were moving a little bit away you know the first few books and i'm speaking as a freelance author not as a company insider um <laughs> but the you know the first few characters the the six book sets were really pretty sta standard in terms of themes and by this time they were starting to ease up a little bit because certain characters just didn't fit the molds um so i probably had more flexibility than um some of the earlier uh, authors did um the things that i remember they're um that they wanted me to change and it was because of of product ideas that they had mm -hmm. um one was i had described caroline in her winter book uh, i forget but i had, i had described a certain coat and they um came back and said we we want to make the coat and we want it to be blue so can you <laughs> change it from whatever i had said to blue um which didn't matter to me at all and then <laughs> the only other the thing that was interesting that was um sort of set in front of me was they wanted uh, an animal in in the sixth book changes for caroline <laughs> and they wanted um caroline already has a a cat of course and um they wanted something different and not just for caroline but also you know they were looking at the big picture <laughs> yeah ink pot is ink pot is here we, ink we have we <laughs> yeah. went to the store and we were shocked Dogs predominate in American girl world, but not for you, Kathleen. Thank you for oh, Inkpot. Thank you for and that. I, and I made it a black cat as an aside because black cats are so hard to be adopted. They're the hardest uh, I've, I'm bred in shelters um, because of the old superstitions. So I, I, that's why I chose black. Um, anyway, they, they said, um, so we've decided that the animal we'd like you to incorporate in book six is a, is a cow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will admit that for a moment I thought, well, that's that's interesting. And I hadn't written, the, you know, written the book yet. Uh, I hadn't even I don't think I'd even really conceptualized it too far. But um, I thought, well, that's something I would not have chosen myself. But it, it worked out beautifully because I got to learn about a, a historic breed of cattle, cow that I didn't know. And um you, you might have seen on my blog, I'm not sure, but um, Williamsburg had developed a line of, not developed, but they were preserving a, an heirloom breed of cow and they had some absolutely adorable pictures of, of baby calves. And as soon as I saw those calves and read more about the breed, I thought, oh, that's 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 the calf for, for, uh, for Caroline. So it worked out fine. Um, but for the most part, it, the stories were, they really didn't interfere. It was just for product, a couple of product, things like that. I'm wondering if I can ask about the inspiration of one of the characters in the book. Um, sure. uh, Caroline's grandmother is truly one of my favorite characters across any American Girl book ever. And I'm just wondering, you know, did you draw on any historical examples to craft that character? Did it come maybe from people you knew in your life? It just, it's such a fascinating character. It's interesting that you would ask about Caroline's grandmother because she's one of my favorite characters too. Um, I absolutely love her. I think, I, I don't think, she, I didn't model her on any particular person. Um, I, in broad terms, I spent my career largely looking at women's history and and reading about, you know, just remarkable women who often uh, have no 
attention. And so often the people that I read about are just everyday people. They're not famous. They're not heroes, but they're strong and they're brave. And they had to confront challenges that are close to unimaginable for you and I today. And that kind of courage is not limited to a certain age or um, it's certainly not a gender. And I wanted, I, as I was mentioning earlier, I really wanted to show all three of those women, um, and I'm counting Caroline in that, of course, but uh, three generations of women who face these terrible obstacles and in their each in their own unique way uh, find a way to try to handle it and the, and this one of my favorite scenes is in the the book about the battle when um, grandmother is, is talking to Caroline um, and there's in the original uh, the original edition of the books there's a wonderful painting of that moment too where where grandmother's talking to Caroline and and um, you know it's a terrible situation you, you're to send your daughter or your granddaughter possibly in harm's way, but that's what the moment required and they all stepped up and did what they needed to do. So uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, she's she's one of my favorites too. So we noticed that you have written a lot of different kinds of historical fiction outside of American Girl and you've actually published 40 books. 41. But we also, 41, wow. congratulations. Wow. 41 came out about three days ago, yes. Congratulations. Well, that is so perfect. <laughs> uh, you also were very recently an artist in residence at a national park. What I'm saying is like, I want to be you when I <laughs> grow up eventually, which, which seems to be a deferred process. But what's on your plate right now between what just came out and also what else you have cooking like grandma in the hearth perhaps <laughs> but um, less dangerous honestly there i often look around and and marvel at my great good fortune i i get to do something i am truly passionate about and um how lucky is that the National Park Residency was really a highlight. It, it was at Harper's Ferry National Historical Park, which is, is a park that's quite dear to me. I spent a lot of time there, and it was really the first first place um, as a as a writer where I started thinking about um, this. You know, the stories that happened here couldn't have happened anywhere else. They, mm. this place is is essential, and my very first published novel was set set there. Cool. Uh, so it was a joy to return. Um, many many years later so I am working on a, a story set in Harper's Ferry that will probably uh, be for young readers my first teen novel set there had to do with the Civil War which is what most people think about when they think about Harper's Ferry and what um, my host and I discussed long before I even got there was the need to to look for new stories and, and different stories and populations that haven't been as well represented. Um, so it was marvelous to spend the month there and really dive into some things there. I can't, I don't want to say more than that. <laughs> it's very fledgling. Um, and I, I'm not one to talk in detail before a book is written too much. Um, but that was incredibly satisfying. So that's one. Um, and then I'm working on two adult mysteries as my primary other <laughs> projects, which keeps me 
busy. One is the Chloe Ellison Historic Sites Mystery Series. Uh, Chloe is a curator at a historic site. Where do you suppose I got that idea from? <laughs> um, and her knowledge of the past is necessary to solve more contemporary crimes. And most of those books include a strand of historic fiction so that the readers get um, the answers that curators sometimes just simply can't find. Uh, readers get the full story. And the book that I just that just came out was the first book in a new series called Lies of a Mission. And it is about a Germ German immigrant who arrived in 1855 to Wisconsin and um, because it's a murder mystery, things did not go at all, <laughs> all well. And this, one of the stars of that book is actually a historic farm at the historic site where I used to work. I'd been thinking about writing that story for 40 years. So to finally get to, to have the chance to, to let this, this awesome <laughs> remnant of ancient architecture uh, shine in a book was, was very satisfying. And I hope that people enjoy meeting Hanukkah too. Wow, you're so busy. I don't even know how you sleep. <laughs> I am. Uh, yes, I, I'm very, again, as I said, I am extremely fortunate. I'm wondering if, as you reflect back on your careers with your work in living history and now as a writer, do you find the, the work of interpretation is different when you're working in a museum versus interpreting history in your books? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, I think the main difference is, you know, when you're working at a historic site, obviously there are things that you need to talk about, um, the themes of the site and the, and the buildings and things like that. Um, what is particularly rewarding for me as a writer is that I, I get to pick and choose. Um, I mean, the books I've done for American Girl, I've done at their invitation, which has been grand. Um, the books that I do for other publishing companies just really start with some tiny kernel of something that I stumbled across um, that lit a spark in my mind. I'm not much of an outliner and I just wade in and into a story and see where it goes. And it's sort of a back and forth between writing and research. Um, <laughs> the art of storytelling in, in words, I find satisfying because I get to go over them over and over and over. Um, and when you're interpreting to groups all day or, or visitors all day, um, you get pretty practiced at it, but nonetheless, it's not quite the same as, as being able to really hone your language and think about the poetry and the rhythm of, of the sentences that you write. And I do enjoy that, that level to it. It's very interesting. Is there anything else that you would want our listeners to know or any other thing that we just haven't mentioned about Caroline that you think everyone should know? Um, I guess I just want to thank your listeners and, of course, both of you as well. Um, I couldn't do the work that I do if readers didn't um, share some of the, so many of the same interests that I have. And I am truly grateful um, for all the readers of all ages who love history and love reading about it and, and thinking about the stories that can be told, um, finding hidden stories for people that really don't have much of a record that, that survived through the centuries. Um, you make it possible for me to do something that I truly love, and I'm very grateful. 
And, you know, Allison did kind of let the secret out that we're hoping to be <laughs> when we grow up. So, um, <laughs> you know, if there's other listeners out there who feel like we do, do you have any <laughs> advice for anyone who might want to follow in your footsteps? Oh, that that's a wonderful question. Um, absolutely. And you should go for it. If you're at all interested in writing, um, don't hesitate. Just jump right in. I find that ch children are very good at doing that. Sometimes adults, if they've always wanted to write but haven't had time to get to it yet, it can be harder to get started. Um, so write for the joy of it. Write what calls to you. If you're very, very busy, then mm -hmm. you probably still have time to write in a journal for five minutes every evening. And that's practice. That That's mm -hmm. how you learn how to be a better writer. Another way that can really, that's very easy that everybody can do at home is when you read a book that you love, when you get to the end, stop and think, why did I love this so much? What did the author do mm. um, to keep me turning the pages? And what can I learn from that? And just in very broad terms, if something is calling to you and you feel passionate about it, um, it's never too late uh, to do that. So I hope if you're thinking, boy, that sounds like fun. <laughs> it is. So you can do it too. <laughs> Well, that's such great advice. Thank you so much. Yeah, and if people wanted to reach out to you or support you by buying your books, do you have a preferred way for folks to do that? Well, I have to admit my favorite way in, in terms of looking for my books is through independent bookstores. They've done so much for my career. They've done so much. They do so much for our communities. And there's a wonderful um, website called IndieBound.org. I'm sure you can find it if you Google it. So even if you don't have an independent bookstore in your area, you can still um, look for books through there. Uh, you can always visit me at my website, which is KathleenErnst.com, e Kathleen with a K and E-R-N-S-T. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a, a secure form message form there. So if you want to get in touch with me, that's the safest way to do it. I'm also active on Facebook. And my blog, which is called Sites and Stories, uh, is all about providing a little peek behind the scenes in all of the historical um, books that I work on. So I'd, I'd love to connect with you. Well, thank you so much. And we so appreciate you giving us your time and, and sharing so much of your own experiences. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on our website, americangirlspod.com, on Instagram, at americangirlspodcast, and on Twitter, at agirlspod. You can find Allison, at Allison Horrocks, on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me, at marymahoney123, on Twitter, and at mimimahoney on Instagram. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We're looking forward to covering the Winter Olympics on our Patreon, along with Michelle Kwan's memoir and Johnny Tremaine, among others. So please join us there and join that community if that's of interest to you. And we'll see you on our next episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.